Hey, it's Low Profile. I'm Mark Lee Morrison, and this is Keep Dreamin' by Steve Arrington from his album Down to the Lowest Terms, The Soul Sessions. Steve Arrington was born and raised into soul music and an active participant in the emerging funk scene in Dayton, Ohio back in the early 1970s. You've heard him sampled by a lot of your favorite rappers, including N.W.A., Jay-Z, and Dr. Dre, like household names, right? He was in a band called Slave, then later Steve Arrington's Hall of Fame. And after that, he took some time off to become a preacher. been more than 15 years before he returned to music because Dane Funk and Stone's Throw Records reached out to him and in his own words this was the first time that a producer had sent me tracks I sang to it gave it a title sent it back and they were like yo man we're feeling this hey man why don't you just come and join the Stone's Throw family since then, he's continued to carry on his tradition of funk. Still living in Dayton, Ohio, he's got recent collaborations with heavy hitters like George Clinton and Snoop Dogg. Uh, it don't matter to me how long the focus in me so Before we go any further, Low Profile is listener-supported programming. That means I rely on donations. If you feel like you can handle a donation to Low Profile, even like a couple bucks a month, it would mean the world to me and help keep this machine going. You can do that by visiting patreon.com slash lowprofile. And if you can't afford to donate, please tell a friend about this show. The artwork for this episode and all season five episodes was painted by Nathan Burko Gibson. And Low Profile receives in-kind support from these generous independent Olympia, Washington businesses. San Francisco Street Bakery, Schwartz's Deli, Rainy Day Records and Tapes, Old School Pizzeria, and Schurler Easy Premium Shitty American Lager from Three Magnets Brewing. All right, so let's get to this interview. I spoke to Steve Arrington from his studio, The Lab, in Dayton, Ohio. Hey, hey. Mark Lee, good to hear you, my brother. Good to hang out. I'm looking forward to doing this interview with you. Steve Arrington titan of funk i'm so thrilled to be speaking with you thank you for making time for me hey man i'm looking forward to it all right man hey can you set the scene for me where are you i'm in dayton ohio in the lab 
where I cook up the that funkiness and uh yeah yeah I'm down in the lab I'm looking at some cool pictures got Miles over here I got Hendrix over here I have Stravinsky over here and BB King and some others nice you're in good company hey hey I like right. to keep the greats around inspiration you know I know you grew up in Dayton mm -hmm. uh, have you always lived there well, I've sort of lived uh, uh, several places. Grew up in Dayton, as you said, and uh, I've also lived in Los Angeles. I've also lived um, in Berkeley, in the Bay Area, and I've lived in New Jersey, um, East Orange, New Jersey, and I've lived in New York, and also right. Miami, and Miami as well, oh, Miami and too. Atlanta. Wow, all right, yeah, all the hot spots. Killer. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, just trying to keep it going, you know, and, and I love to, to move around and do different things and be in different scenes and, you know, it pulls out different music in you, you know? Yeah, but am I correct to assume that Dayton put the music in you? That's what put the funk inside you? Absolutely, and of course I've spent the most time even as uh, an adult uh, in um you know, as I've gotten older, I've spent more time in Dayton, not just growing up here, but uh, I did some moving, but most of the time I've lived in Dayton area. So what were you digging on when you were coming up there that got you interested in making music of your own? Well, right off the rip, I have to say James Brown. I uh -huh. remember hearing my first song that I ever liked was Shimmy Shimmy Coco Bop. Uh, little Anthony and the Imperials. I was just a little dude. But to get my music attention going and the interest in drums, which is my first instrument, uh, was James Brown, and the song was Cold Sweat. Yep, that'll do it to you. That'll put the, that'll put the rhythm in your head. Yes, sir. So when did you start playing drums, man? Well... I uh, started playing around eight years old. My brother had a band, a local band, and a lot of great musicians from Dayton had come out of his uh, local band. Uh, oh, yeah? Yeah, Marvin Craig from uh, Lakeside, the bass player for Lakeside, came out of my brother's band. Uh, Fantastic the great, Voyage. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the great Jun uh, Junie Morrison, prior to joining the Ohio Players, was in my brother's band. Uh -huh. And yes, and the original drummer for Slave um, was in my brother's band as well, Tim Dozier, the nickname Tiny. And um, yeah, man, it was great. And I also played in my brother's band as well. I was playing bongos and I couldn't go to all the gigs because I was a little guy. But uh, the ones, you know, that weren't in, in the clubs, I was able to play. Um, so yeah, man, you know, I had music around me all the time, starting with my brother's, uh, band, the soul agents. And then they had also another group called the citations.
saw these guys, these great musicians practicing uh, before I got involved. I just watched them rehearse, and then they allowed me to be a part of it. Yeah, they practiced at your house? Sure did. My mother was yeah. the manager uh, for a while, and here's what was cool. Uh, one of the drummers, Michael Stevenson, rest in peace, we called him Chubbs. Um, he would allow me to uh, play his drums after their rehearsals. He trusted I would be okay. And so I was able to play, you know, a professional kit. It was a lot of fun coming up. Music was around. And so you, you mentioned, though, uh, playing drums in Slave, and later you became the lead vocalist. Is there is there a song in particular that you're proud of, uh, drumming? Well, my first time of recording in the studio was with Slave, and the first song that I recorded in the studio with Slave on drums was Stellar Funk. Yeah, I got that album in my hand right now, actually. Oh, yeah, the concept. So I'm partial to uh, Stellar Funk because that was the first one. It wasn't long after that. I mean, you know, it was a, it was a handful of years, but you wound up uh, with a new project called Steve Arrington's Hall of Fame. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And you had some members of Slave collaborating, right? Yes, uh, the Carter brothers, Charles Carter and Sam Carter, and also uh, the drummer, um, who played live with us, Roger Parker, who was the original drummer with Faso of, you know, with the great track Riding High. Um, so, yeah, there were some cats that came with me, and then I added uh, some uh, new guys to the group as well um, to form Steve Arrington's Hall of Fame. And Slave kept going on after that, um, but y'all just had different trajectories. You guys existed at the same time. Hall yes. of Fame and Slave. Yes, uh, yeah. and in our uh, going different directions, we were still very close, friend-wise, um, and yeah, they went and did their thing. And, and the thing about Slave is um, there was always um, members uh, changing after the first album. The lineups always changed. But we remained yeah. friends, and we were in each other's corners, uh, through the years afterwards uh, up till today that's great man and i know you didn't start the band but um you could take that band name you know a number of different ways do you know what the intention was behind that band name you know what you would think that something uh with the name of slave that there would be a um perhaps a political social sort of deal with it um uh, 
but that's uh-huh. not what it was. Um, Floyd Miller came into a rehearsal, had a T-shirt that said slave, and it had two footprints on it. And at that time, they were uh, looking at what would be a good name for the group. He walked in that day, and they looked at the T-shirt and said, Slave, that's got a good feel ring to it. And that's what they went with. Uh, and when they told me that story, I'm like, you mean there's no particular social political <laughs> thing to that? Nope. And I says, oh, okay, well, hey, slave it is. It's an attention getter. Absolutely. And so Steve Arrington's Hall of Fame, you, you put out an album uh, just called Volume 1. Hypothetically, I mean, I think the world's ready for Volume 2 someday if you ever feel like it. Because that album got sampled by just off the dome man ll cool j nwa public enemy tribe called quest well the interesting thing about the whole sampling thing is you know when it first started to happen the industry hadn't caught up in terms of how the uh, musicians and the artists would get paid from the sampling so the first part of it was sort of well these songs are being made, but we're not getting paid for it. After that, after the, the, the legal side caught up with the artistic side of, of sampling, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I always sort of kept my ear to what was going on musically through the years. And yes, you know, the Jermaine Dupree and, and uh, Jay-Z, had their own vibe, money ain't a thing, with Weekend and Knees, Weekend and Knees, you know, then I saw in um, Straight Outta Compton that Weekend and Knees was the first song that Ice Cube had done a freestyle on. Oh, wow. and listening to the different uh, samples and how they were used. Um, hey, like uh, Brand Nubians uh, yeah. did Nobody Can Be You But You. They flipped that song. And hey, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, 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 I like how music goes through its own progressions. You can't, you can't put a finger on what's going to happen, where it's going to go. And I was always open to hear and sort of get an understanding of all of that. And that's how I looked at uh, sampling as well. When you're making that album in particular, you know, nowhere in the back of your head is that you're creating, you know, a not so secret weapon for like hip hop royalty. You, you just uh, happen to wind up being a part of that history by doing what you love to do. And I think that's there's just something really beautiful about that. Yeah, you never know what the music's going to do once you're done with it. You know, you know you're inspired by it yourself in making it, but no one knows the legs as I'd say, I'll call it how the how it moves through, you know, decades. You know, uh is it music that younger people will find and get interested in and enjoy and want to know about? 
artists who are from a decade and perhaps some further back than that. Your new album, you know, you, you kind of get to be on the other side of that coin too, right? You got some sampling happen there because there's all the different producers and every all the tracks have sort of a different style, a different, yes. different feel. Absolutely, um, yes. All absolutely. over the place. Such a fun record. Yes, it's uh, down to the lowest terms. The Soul Sessions is a, a record for me to be able to go in 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 the many directions that I've enjoyed and 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 come up with musically. We talked about James Brown earlier, uh, but uh, I could also say a major influence was also Mahavishnu Orchestra, um, and also another important influence would be the group Yes, and then another important influence would be the Chicago Blues scene of um, Hound Dog Taylor, Howlin' Wolf, Coco Taylor, Willie Dixon, and Muddy Waters, you know, people like that. Um, so, you know, I like so many different styles of music. I call myself a music adventurist because um, yeah. I dig so yeah, many different things. About. And so I decided, hey, I want to do an album that encompasses more of what I'm into as a, a musician and an artist and not hold anything back and just do an album down, say, oh, this is just a straight up funk record. So people say, okay, well, but you called it The Soul Sessions. And I'm saying yes, but the flip on The Soul Sessions is meaning that throughout all this music, I'm giving my heart and my soul to that music meaning I'm really giving it up I'm giving all I have and that's the soul part it doesn't necessarily mean oh this is a soul album yet it is soulful Another cool thing about having a different producer for every track is that each of those producers is putting the energy into this one song as if it's the main single. It was magical and it was a different way for me to make a record so it was a new perspective in that way of having different producers on all the different tracks perhaps maybe a producer or two doing more than one song but primarily those tracks are all diff with different producers. Um, and it was fun. And yet the thing about it, it's going many different directions, but because of my vocal and my writing over these tracks, it just has a cohesiveness about it for me that makes it sound like I'm not trying to go, okay, so this is the jazz track. Oh, okay, this is the more soulful track. No, it's it has a cohesiveness about it that doesn't sound like collectively we're trying to do something 
we're just making good music together. And I guess I'm getting, as you were saying, I was getting the best out of those guys. And they were also getting the best out of me as well. Yeah, and it really shows. You you went in a more gospel direction toward the end of the Hall of Fame era. Yes. And I believe I've got uh, like positive power, which I think is a very good description of what you do musically, by the way. Um, And then after that, we had the Steve Arrington, you know, solo records coming out. And just very much, very heavy on the gospel messaging, but still bringing the hard funk sound that you were known for. Can you tell me what brought that change in direction on from Hall of Fame into your solo, more gospel-oriented records? Well, you know, I come from a family of preachers, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, How far back? Well, my great uncle charles cook had his own church bethsaida baptist in um in dayton and i used to go to that church when i was a kid and i have uh uncles uh great uncles who were pastors and i have cousins even today um who who are pastors and it's sort of been in my family also um my particular vibe on that was also inspired by the great John Coltrane and and Carlos Santana as well, who in their uh, journey through music uh, had an awakening, spiritual awakening of sorts, and they their, both of their music, um, you know, you could hear that something had changed and they went uh, in new directions. Um, so, uh, with my background and my interest in the things, uh, connecting with God, um, and also musicians that I appreciated and respected, uh, felt that their, uh, music had to reflect their spirituality. Uh, I felt the same way. The next album, Positive Power, things started to change as my life started to change and become more, uh, filled with uh, my Christian roots were starting to now come and be front and center in my life. And the way I do things, I go with my heart. So when that became more and more dominant in my perspective of how I looked at life, my music reflected that. Uh, you know, of course, when you make a move like that, there's some people who get it and there's some people who don't. And then there's some people who get it later. But as long as I feel comfortable that I'm doing what's in my heart, then the music will reflect honesty. And for me, that's the bottom line. And I love the Lord. And so I, I had to put that into the music. Yeah, and you, you did it well. Dancing in the Key of Life. Um, I'd like to just let the listeners hear a little bit of that one right now. Great.
also come up in an era when people like David Bowie, I'll say for instance, David Bowie mm-hmm. had his singer songwriter period with his Honky Dory album and that sort of thing. And then he went through the Ziggy Stardust uh, thing, the uh, the rock star, um, unique guy, um, Ziggy Stardust yeah, and the Spiders from Mars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Aladdin Zane. And, and then he went into his thing where he went into the soup phase and he right. was into being chic and looking like, uh, you know, he was doing the model runway thing. And so what I've dug about David Bowie and I same thing about artists like Prince as well, who came up, um, we came up around the same time, um, is the ability to not allow a convention uh, the conventional way of what a black artist is supposed to be and you're supposed to look like this and do this. I always, um, again, followed my heart and I thought the biblical toga thing really would put that whole atmosphere of dancing in the key of life and feel so real, um, bring more energy to what I was trying to convey in the message. Yeah, no, that works. And you had you had cool costumes all in all the videos I've ever seen, like from from those early days. You're a little more casual now, I gotta say. I I, I wouldn't mind seeing you rock some gold lame these days, but <laughs> well, my thing is now, man. I'm rocking my Thelonious Monk tee and uh-huh. my jeans scenarios, and uh, you know, or or so my my tees like I've got. Uh, um, my Hendrix tees and, and, and things like that. Um, oh man, I love Thelonious Monk. And that reminds me, we haven't really talked about your keyboard playing. You're very innovative on the keys on your 2009 album. Mm-hmm. Pure thing. Yes. Yes. There's an, there's an instrumental cut on there where you're just letting loose on the keys. Oh, you're talking cooling? about cooling. Is that the one? Yes, cooling. Yeah, man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a dope track. glad you're feeling cool and that's a special track for me now that that came out like after a 20-year interim between records yes yes right 25 yes absolutely 25 years yeah man so can you just uh give me the rundown of uh 25 years of no steve arrington albums well i was just starting to feel some energy see when I decided to step back out of the music scene, uh, I had said what I wanted to say. I had, you know, I had, my inspiration was there at that time. And I wanted to now really send my energies and put my energies into developing my relationship with the Lord, right? And I'd done that and I hadn't looked back in the music. I was I was not at all saying, man, I shouldn't have done that or, you know, I'm, 
I'm itching to get back into it. I, that, it didn't happen that way at all. It was just one day. I just got to show love to somebody in the same area and place that I'd be, uh, become, um, you know, worldwide. And um, it was just as simple as that. And this is after 25 years. And it was like, well, okay, that's what I feel in my heart. That's what I'm getting ready to do. I'm doing this thing again. And, um, you know, I did it pretty much all myself. Oh, so you produced that one, too. Yes. Yeah, I just I did everything. I mixed it and did just did everything. There's a rawness about that that record, too, um, that it, it has a raw sort of alive feeling about it. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's a. Uh, that was the starting point for me of stepping into the realm that I've continued on with. Now, I discovered your music sort of accidentally a little bit after that album came out because um, I have a, there, there's a local musician here in Olympia named Arrington De Dioniso, hmm. um, who, so Arrington's his first name. Um, and he's, he's a friend of mine. He's a friend of the show. He's actually been on a couple of times. Um, and he makes kind of psychedelic trance punk music <laughs> to, to, uh, sum it up. But anyway, I, I, his name, his last name is kind of hard to spell. So I just type in Arrington music and there you are. And I see that you've been working with Dame Funk, who I had recently become totally enamored with. Yes. And. Uh, you put out an album called Higher with Dame Funk that I discovered totally on accident. And uh, so we we have Dame Funk's like kind of boogie funk sound, his like signature production with your signature gospel lyrics and scatting and your just very unique singing styles. Um, and what a great collaboration, in my opinion. I started getting more and more into underground music. So at the time when Dame Funk hit me up, and then Peanut Butter Wolf, who was the... Uh, CEO and owner of um, Stone's Throat, they called me up and said, yeah, man, you know, can we do this 12-inch? And I'm like, yeah, let's do the 12-inch because I was went to listen to Dame Funk's music and I liked what he was doing. So it started as a 12-inch. The first cut was magnificent. Ah, that's a good one. first time that a producer had sent me tracks and then I in the lab which I'm in right now I sang to it gave it a title sent it back and they were like yo man we're feeling this how about we do a three song EP I'm like okay so then I did you know two other songs 
after they sent me tracks, sent them back, and they were like, yo, why don't we do a six song? I'm like, okay. And it turned into nine, and it's like, hey, man, why don't you just come and join the Stone's Throw family um, mm. with the great Mad Lib and, you know, and uh, Jay Diller, rest in peace, who done one of the great underground albums all time with Donuts, and, of course, Donuts. you know, MF Doom. Uh -huh. You know, Mad Villain and all of that, man. So I joined that family, uh, Dame Funk and all of those guys. And, yeah, that's produced the higher album. That's how it came to be. Wow. Man. Yeah, that was that was a real special collaboration. And then fast forward not too much longer after that, the uh, Seven Days of Funk, Snoop Dogg and Dame pulled you in and you kind of did a reworking of one question off of higher and Snoop rapped on it a little bit. Well, it was a song that I had done, but I didn't put it on the higher album. I guess Dame oh. allowed Dame let a Snoop here and he dug it. And so he dropped his verses in it. And then I did a little bit more to it. And yeah, man, one question. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I was man. I was really happy when I saw you on that record, I gotta say. That was that was a real special album for me. Yeah, um, man. They did their thing and I was I was happy to be a part of that. Especially when you think about, you know, Snoop had done, you know, um Let's Get Blown, which is the actual melody verse melody of watching you and then of course uh he did um walking down the street smoking endo uh gin and juice which was the hook of watching you right that was a slave reference absolutely we're gonna do a little compare and contrast for the listener here okay Pretty, pretty cool that that whole thing came full circle and became a collaboration. Yeah, yeah. And I really enjoyed how that song came out. I just need you near me, hear me, feel me, hold me, love me only. And if you can do that for me, owe me, owe me back like you owe me. Click cocking, hip hopping, ready or not. I guess after that, you've done a whole lot of live performances. Yes, a lot of live performances um, in the classic, in the people who grew up with the classic music, and also on the underground scene as well. A lot of collabs I've been doing. I, um, I'm excited about the collab that I did with the great George Clinton. After 48 years, he does um, his first parliament 
album, 48, 38, something like that, years. And I'm on that Had you song, met him before that? Nomos. No, I hadn't. I'd been on tour with him many times and many of the people that were around um, in, the, in the camp, but we had never met uh, specifically before that time in the studio. It was great. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure he was probably another mm-hmm. earlier influence on you. Yeah. Hey, make my funk the P-funk. I want my funk uncut. Man, come on, man. That tune right there, come on, make my funk the P-Funk. Come on, bruh. I want the bomb. I want the P-Funk. Don't want my funk stepped on. Man, come on, man. I go back. I told him this, too. This is a great story. I says, George, you know, I go back to I just want to testify. He said, what? I said, yeah, man. He says, oh, you mean Chocolate City artist. I said, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the original I Just Want to Testify singing group vibe, bro. When you was the parliaments, I go back to that. Mm. And he was like, okay. (laughs) He was feeling that. I said, yeah, man, I've been down since day one, bro. I've been down since day one. You know, I go back to, you know, you know, obviously free your mind and your ass will follow and all of that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, I've been down with the whole P Funk Funkadelic movement t- when he was a singing group singing Motown sounding type music, and what a change he made too. How do you go from that to to the mighty Funkadelic P Funk juggernaut that he ended up to be? Uh, but yeah, that's one of the collabs I did a collab with the Great Thundercat um, album. Yes, uh, it is what it is. Yes, let's talk about that. Uh, the track was uh, Black Qualls, absolutely. Um, and he hit me up and said, Steve, man, I got this joint, man. I hear you on it. Would you be interested in rocking it? I'm like, send it out. And so I did the vocal here in the lab. He told mm-hmm. me about the Steve's uh, thing he was doing because you have Steve Lacey. Yeah, uh, Steve Ellison. There's another uh, heavy hitter these days. Yeah, man, and of course, you know, Flying Lotus, Steve Ellison, mm-hmm. and and all and, the Steves. Yeah, yeah, and and of course, Steven Bruner, also known as Thundercat, and then Steve Arrington, and we all came together as the Steves, right? Um, under you know the uh, great Thundercat umbrella of bringing us all together.
loved the track. I loved his album. And he won uh, Progressive R&B Album of the Year at the Grammys, by the way. And I was so happy for him. And I was happy to be a part of that because I co-wrote with him and Steve Lacey the first single, Black Qualls. And yes, we also did that on uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, that was a terrific record and a great way to kick it off with that single. Um, and just, I, I'm just so grateful that he didn't also get Steven Tyler in on the mix because that would have <laughs> just been too much. <laughs> That's a good one. You know, he he could have, but he didn't. <laughs> so, so God bless you, Thundercat. <laughs> Um, I have one just curiosity. I don't know if this is even for the show, but being from Ohio, Dayton, um, man, that Sun album, Sunburn, mm -hmm. is fire. I mean, appropriately so. <laughs> but, um, yeah, did you did you ever, uh, you know, bump shoulders with those guys? Absolutely. We all came up together. You know, the thing about the Dayton scene is we all were doing Battle of the Bands and talent shows together. I'm talking about the primary people that you see in Lakeside to this very day. Um, we The people that were in Faso, um, we were doing talent shows with them uh, on yeah, the that's show. That's the only band you talked about that I don't know. I gotta, I gotta do some homework there. Oh. Uh, You'll dig that. Man, that one Sun song, though. I had a choice, but I chose wrong. Oh, man. I made a promise, girl, to leave it alone. <laughs> oh, kills me. So man, Sun was the ooh-wee, bro. <laughs> yeah, bro, Sun. Come on, man. All this thing came out in Dayton. All of us were at the same time. You got the Ohio players. You've got Sun. You've got Zap. You've got Slave, you've got Vesta Williams, you've got Faso, you've got Heat Wave, you've got Lakeside. Yo, all of that was coming out at the same time, man. When are you going to collaborate with Guided by Voices? That's what I want to know. Hmm. <laughs> you know those cats? Nope. Oh, they're a Dayton band. They've been they've been happening for I don't know probably about forty years. No, I ain't up on that, bro. Are they uh, the gospel oh, yeah. joint? They're they're a, they're a sloppy rock and roll band that writes beautiful one minute songs, oh. anthems that only take a minute or two. Well, you know, I I I, I dig the punk scene. Yeah, that came out of here, and I'm familiar with some of it, but not that. So, in my opinion. There have always been a couple people that could get away with scatting. Mm. That's uh, Ella Fitzgerald and Lee Perry. Yes. And then you, because you got you to gotta flow, and you love to scat, I'm guessing, because you do it a lot.
Yes, and, and see, I don't, I don't call it scatting. Not for any, it? not for any particular reason. Do I not call it scatting? I just call it Arringtonisms. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And I say <laughs> that because I don't have a a particular scatting library in mm-hmm. my mind of what scatting is that you have to make certain sounds to say, oh, I'm scatting. I mean, I just make sounds. I just let it do what it do. And You're just vocalizing. Exactly. I mean, you got a great instrument and you you got to do whatever you want with that, man. Well, yeah, and you know, and and those people that you mentioned know like ooh wee. You know. Mm-hmm. I tell you, man, I was listening to some Betty Carter just last week, man. I love Betty Carter, man. Um, so yeah, and she's one of the great uh vocalists and her scatting and her vocalizations are just second to none, and she's very innovative in that way as well. I I have this uh, running question that I like to ask a lot of my more esteemed guests, and that is, if I were to bring you a burger, and I might someday if I'm ever around, how do you like your burger? Steve Arrington? Well. Medium well. On the well side of medium well. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to go with my mustard and my ketchup. And I'm going to ask for extra pickle. Ooh. And. Then after my own heart. Hey now, I'm gonna do Come the on. cheese thing, right? I'm gonna go yeah, with what the, kind of cheese you like? You want you just like the American cheese, like the plastic orange cheese? Well, I can rock the classic orange cheese. I can do the Kobe, the Kobe uh-huh. cheese. You know what I'm saying? I can do the cheddar. I can go eat those routes, but I'm gonna go with the American cheese because we just gonna go with the classic American joint, right? So I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. But I like the other two as well. Okay, okay. And, uh, you know, yeah, I'm going to go that route, man. I don't I don't need a whole lot. Now then, that's one stock. I got to do a two-piece on this one. Steve, the other thing I got to do. I got to so, tell you, nobody else have, has ever described the same burger I want until right now. <laughs> you hit the nail. Not Nothing too fancy. Yeah, some, I mean, if you threw some onions on, there, on it, I'm cool with the onions too. On there. Yeah, there you go. Now, okay, I want to take it to another level. Now, you you thinking like a quarter pounder, double burger, or a plate of sliders that are done just like that? You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the the double double burger joint. Oh man, I don't know if we can hang out. I'm going for the sliders. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the double burger joint because I don't know what yeah. sliders are, bro. Sliders? That's like the little like. Uh, like four bite burgers. They oh, give you a, okay. No, you know I, what I'm saying. Uh-uh. Yeah, we'll it's see. Like kind of White Castle sized. Yeah. But. So that's sliders. Okay. See, I don't rock White Castle. That's like in a White pinch. Castle's not my thing, but that size. Oh, okay. That's great. Right. I can't. Yeah. Well, no, no, no disrespect to White Castle. I just don't rock like that. But okay, I'm feeling you. Yeah, I didn't know what sliders were. 
I think we could coexist in a burger universe. Hey, no problem. A burger is a good thing. And uh, by the it way, sure man, is. we just talked about uh, Steve Tyler, and I'm just gonna have to keep it a hundred. You know, I was down with some 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 uh, Aerosmith, bro. As a matter of fact, I met them at a, at the hotel that I was playing at when I was doing the whole lounge music thing, tie yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, and all of that. I met those guys, man. Uh, so you know, big ups to Steve Tyler too. Hang on, can you give me just a few words about doing your lounge music thing? Because oh. I I know you've mentioned it before. Okay, but, uh... here we go. I met this guy. I went to a music store in Dayton, and you know, at that time, you'd have a bulletin board, and they would have looking for a drummer, looking for a guitar player, blase blase scoop. I went in there looking for a drummer uh, to do uh, some road work and doing uh, the lounge band thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, because like I said, I'm a music adventurist, so I'm, mm -hmm. I get my Tony Bennett on, and I can, you know. And of course, a lot of the lounge bands, they also do top 40 stuff too. But in this particular situation, this group called the Murphys. And here's what's so cool about the Murphys. They, that group had so many people that went on to do uh, some great things. So Clifford Murphy was a mentor. Uh, Tom Warrington, who ended up being the bass player for Buddy Rich after he left the Murphys, and he played keys with the Murphys because Clifford Murphy played bass, but he went to play with Buddy Rich and ended up marrying Buddy Rich's daughter. He played bass, and then uh, there was a uh, Victor Gotzi, who ended up being one of the... Uh, original keyboard players on Steve Arrington's Hall of Fame. Um, he also played in the Murphys. I pulled him into the Murphys. And, um, you know, so that situation was very cool. I came out of the Murphys and did my thing. So that was sort of a, a place of getting it together. And we played so many different styles of music because Clifford had played with a lot of the greats, you know, um, Duke Ellington and, and people like that, Count Basie, and he was part of the house band at this great historic club in Detroit called Baker's. So um, the Murphys, yeah, that was a cool thing. We were singing Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak Tree. It's been three long years. Do you still get my lounge voice? You know what I'm saying? And yeah. we did some straight-up jazz. We did uh, so many, you know, pop you know, top 40 stuff. But Clifford's thing is he wanted to go to Vegas. He wanted to do the, um, you know, uh, Tahoe thing. And, you know, that was his thing. And he was able to do that. Rest his, rest in peace, Clifford. So many great musicians came through that band. He was one of the great band leaders, too. I had much love and honor for the great Clifford uh, Murphy. Um, yeah, absolutely. Nice. What What's next for you? What's next for Steve Arrington? Well, you know, a lot of, well, all of my shows after doing the uh, Jimmy Kimmel show, I was supposed mm -hmm. to go over to Europe with Thundercat, and then I was to go back over to do some shows uh, as as uh, the leader myself under my own name and uh, continuing to do shows around the states and all everything got canceled a whole year and some um and still figuring out when 
to pull the trigger to get back to uh, doing shows now in the midst of figuring all of that out with the promoters and also the booking agents. So I'll just see how that all takes place. And in the meantime, I've been doing more collabs. And uh, I'm excited about that, too, because um, different music, um, doing some house stuff. Um, doing nice. Some, you yeah. got into that a little bit on the Soul Sessions album. Absolutely. So, yeah, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. What, is there is there a track you'd like to go out on? Well, uh, You're Not Ready For Me is a good joint because we were just talking about some house all right. Well, Steve, it's been such a pleasure hearing your stories and learning more about your life and music. Uh, thank you so much for making time and and bless you, man. Thank you, Mark Lee. Uh, and I really enjoyed uh, the interview. and my guest today has been the great Steve Arrington. If you'd like to learn more about his music, there's some links on this episode's website. You can find that at lowprofilepodcast.com. Later on this month, Rhino Records is releasing Stellar Funk, The Best of Slave, featuring Steve Arrington on vinyl for Black History Month. So that's some funk history for y'all that is available soon. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please shoot me an email at lowprofilemarkley at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell a friend if you like the show, and we'll catch you again in a couple weeks. That's what my daddy used to say. Now here's me. I don't see risk, I see opportunity, so I maintain.